In this universe, we look at a lot of things like failure is not such a bad thing. If you're not failing, you maybe you're not trying hard enough. Welcome to Ending Pending. I'm your host for this evening, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm Andy. Uh, I'm a popular brand of scooter, and I'm Evan. The fuck? <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> We're already starting off with zingers, baby. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to wow. be a great episode. That audio is, you did something to that audio. Ronnie, I'll fix it in post. Okay. I, uh, okay. You, you can get me real cheap at Dollar Shave Club, and I'm Ronnie. And we have a guest. And we have a guest. We have a guest. Uh, the, 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 the returning guest. The, the you know, come to, to reclaim the ending pending throne of most guestiest guest. Uh, it's the host of Satan and Rainbows, Mr. Nate Treese. Oh, hang on a second, gang. Eyes! Oh, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. That was a thing. So, so if you couldn't tell by these wonderful introductions, Ending Pending is a podcast where we discuss television shows which have only lasted for a single season. We're currently covering NBC's dismal feature, The Cape. But before we get into that, I have a bit. What is this bit, Andy? So just continuing on the fact that Nate and I survived the garbage fire that was uh, Liberty University's education, um, who would you guys want to be your mentor? Mm. If you could pick a, a like fantasy mentor, like someone from pop culture, mm. who would you want to be your mentor? Oh, hmm, hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Jarlaxle from the Legend of Dritz series. Is that just because you want to fuck him? Uh, there's that. I mean, there is that. Strange power dynamic going on here. This would definitely be my best opportunity to fuck him. Um, but also, like, he's, he's just rad. He, he's got, like, all kinds of sweet magical items. He's, like, super mega old. He's, like several hundred years old and he like knows all the shit. He knows all the tricks. He, he knows how to get out of sticky situations. Uh, he like runs a, uh, dudes only unless you're really cool mercenary group. Uh, is that what so, we're calling it? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he definitely, he definitely is fucking all of them. And also the, the women who are really cool, who are allowed in, he's fucking them too. Um, also trans inclusive. Yes, yeah, very trans inclusive, which is rad. His, uh, men only, unless you're a cool mercenary group. Uh, but yeah, it, rad dude. You'd, you'd get rich. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I might die, but it'd be worth it. He's not real great about. He, there's a few people to to whom he is fairly loyal, but he's not super great about like keeping his people alive always all the time necessarily mm. but it, it's fine it's fine it'd be worth it mm. ronnie what about you um i feel like i mean my 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 fantasy like childhood or like fantasy like where there would be like a mentor mentee relationship it really grows out of that good good not so good most of the time harry potter universe 
And I think I'm going to rewrite, I'm going to pull a uh, J.K. Rowling, I'm going to rewrite the books and say, oh, this is how it should have happened. Uh, I think Harry would have been a lot better off if Professor McGonagall was uh, was the person he was kind of one-on-one with instead of Dumbledore just keeping secrets and uh, waxing eloquent all the time. I almost think that would have made Dumbledore more interesting if sure. McGonagall was Harry's mentor and... Mm. You were only ever seeing Dumbledore as like this Batman type figure. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot better. If she was like the responsible one who was running things and, you know, like being forthcoming with him about everything. And then she was like, look, you got to go see Dumbledore. He's going to be do. He's got some weird stuff and he plays three dimensional, you know, magic chess. But, (laughs) you know, just trust him. And that would be kind of cool. And that would make him him uh, dying if that still is happening in this universe a little bit more like, you know, high stakes. Like, I guess we'll never really know who he was. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of spending like literally every second with him and still being like, yeah, we just don't know who he was because he couldn't form like a, a hi, Harry. I'm Dumbledore. Here's a little bit about me. Here's an icebreaker for everyone here at Hogwarts. My name's Dumbledore. And and I'm here to say. And I'm here to say. It's fun to do magic in a wizard way. There we go. Yeah. And plus. Good she answer. Would, she could teach me how to be an animagus, which is like the cool, the cool stuff. That is cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty dope. You'd, you'd be like an otter or something. Right? Oh, I mean, for you'd sure. Be adorable. Or a sloth or a, or a little koala bear. Yeah. Or bunny. Mm. Or a little bunny. That could be a bunny. I would cuddle. I would cuddle Animagus, Ronnie. Oh, everyone gets a cuddle. Oh, we got cuddle everybody. Oh. Uh, Nate, what about you? Uh, well, you know, I I think I I, I was just recently rereading the. Um, Hold on, I swear if you take my answer again, Nate, I'm gonna punch my mic. <laughs> no, I don't think don't so. Don't punch your mic. I don't think don't so. Don't punch your mic. I think this is too deep of a cut, but we'll see. I was just rereading the um, uh, 52 uh, series from DC Comics back like a decade and a half ago. And uh, there was part of that one where uh, Vic Sage, the question, uh, takes on uh, uh, former Batman supporting character Detective Renee Montoya as sort of like a protege. And then um, uh, he trains her to become his successor as the question, the faceless uh, vigilante. Um, and I always thought it was they, they sort of did a really cool job of balancing like the uh, original Steve Ditko take on the question where he's sort of like a libertarian hard ass with like the um, Denny O'Neill version of the question where he's more of like a, a Zen uh, uh, sort of like more spiritual guy. And uh, I thought that Greg Rucka did a really good job of sort of uh, combining those two and making him a very interesting character only to then kill him off and have an equally interesting character take his place is the question. So that's what mine would be. Greg Rucka always does a pretty solid yeah, job. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's solid. He's, he's good. You didn't take my answer. Very good. All right. Uh, so I feel like the easy answer is Uncle Iroh. Oh, yeah. It's mm. a pretty good answer. But it, I, I'm Andy, so I have two answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other answer is, I think, going to be Varric from Dragon Age. Oh, that's a good one. That's also a good answer. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the biggest thing I struggle with in life is, like, making money, like like being being a responsible businessman. And I feel like Varric would, would very much help me with that. But 
we we we'd get along really well and have a roaring good time and we'd scheme a lot and we'd we'd be gay and do crimes and disrespect authority it'd be excellent oh i love it i love i, I love a varicock relationship that would be great you're right yeah yeah i think i think i think varic is solid he was also kind of like my inquisitor's mentor uh he and solus and uh i kind of ended up going with solus and that was not the best decision i've ever made <laughs> so i would i would fix that yeah that's 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 probably the of, of the of the ones that we all referenced i guess that's probably the one mentor that might get you in as much trouble as he like helps you get out of yeah, and that's that's definitely appropriate for Andy. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah, it's on brand. <laughs> yeah, uh, we both have a historic uh, explosive relationship with the church. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, world renowned explosive oh relationship. Yep, maybe Elf Jesus did it. Um, <laughs> uh, Oh, I was referencing Dragon Age 2, but yeah, you're right with Dragon Age 3, too. Yeah, 100%. I guess we gotta talk about this show. Yeah, let's talk about the What show did we watch? Goodness gracious. What, what, that's a good question, Ronnie. What What was the show? (laughs) What show did we watch? What show did we watch? What what was the show? Incomprehensible. Episodes 9 and 10 of The Cape is what we watched. Or at least yeah. that's what it said on NBC.com when the video played. Um, mm-hmm. Evan, what 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 what's up with these two episodes of television? Uh, of television. Um, episode nine is entitled "Razor Scooters." It's not. It's entitled. <laughs> it's entitled Ray. I cannot. I cannot see that word, especially it's spelled all cool, yeah. like like one doeth. Um, in the early 2000s slash late 90s, it's spelled like R-A-Z-E-R. I think the scooters were actually spelled like R-A-Z-R or R-Z-R or I something like that. I think the cell like, phone I, I was know. R-A-Z-R and the, s- oh, yeah. and the scooter was maybe <laughs> R-A-Z-E-R. About- oh, boy. Why do we love Razor so of- much? I had the phone and the scooter, not at the same time. Oh. Um, but, oh, that would, well, yeah, that would so punch, cool. that'd punch a hole in the fabric of reality. So <laughs> yeah. you can't do that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the episode is called Razor because that's a cool villain name. I guess mm-hmm. they decided as they were writing this show. Um, the Scalyman, the the Scaly guy, and uh, Peter Fleming are all like, you've got this crime territory, and I've got this crime territory, and, like, as long as we don't interfere with each other, we'll be cool, but, like, in order to maintain my crime territory, I will, even though I don't like you, help you to maintain your crime territory. They have this, like, Peter Fleming is like, I'm gonna call you a guy, uh, Scales, I'm gonna call you a guy to, like, help you out, help you maintain your crime territory, Shit, he's like a bomb guy, and his name's Razor. (laughs) And (laughs) Carnival of Crime folk and also Vince decide, like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to, like, infiltrate the Scales gang. Nobody knows what 
Razor! Psh, 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 looks like. <laughs> so they give Vince some, like, fake facial scars and uh, an Australian accent, and he turns up and he's like, Oi, I'm Razor! <laughs> and... <laughs> that was beautiful, dude. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, although, Oi is not a Australian thing. That's like a Cockney thing. I got my accents all, like, uh, messed up. I don't actually quite know what his precise endgame is here, but he he infiltrates the Scales gang and pretends to be like a bomb man making bombs, and they very quickly catch on to him, obviously, because he starts feeding information to, like, the crime circus, and they're like, hmm, it sure is weird that these people know our plans, like, an hour after we make the plans— who amongst us is untrustworthy and brand new to this scenario? I wonder... So, yeah, he gets found out very easily. <laughs> he does. It's fine. He survives. Um, like, he gets out of the situation, so that... And he gets rescued by Goliath. Yeah. But, like, it's fine. Uh, they didn't really accomplish anything, as far as I could tell. No, they don't. Um, <laughs> uh, and also, um... Uh... What's his name? Peter Fleming. Chess. Uh, him and Chess are, like, a split personality now, which has not really been a thing that's been established, but it's something they dove into 100% in this episode. He's got a split personality now, and his other personality is Chess, who is the same as him, but with Chess contacts. Chess contacts! <laughs> which he keeps in a golden box. <laughs> with, with... Eye drops, like with a bottle yeah, of Visine. Yes, I mean, that's with, responsible. That's responsible. With some, some solution for when uh, he has to rinse them off before he inserts them into his eyeballs. Oh, um, Yeah. Anyway, he's having a, a long, protracted uh, meeting with his therapist, and his therapist is, like, trying to, like, mind-freak him into not having two personalities, I guess. Um, which, yeah, seems... Also, um... Orwell, like, paints her whole house white for some reason. This is framed as, like, uh, she's having, like, a mental break or something, but there's just, like, this shot where she's painted her whole house white. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Episode 10 is called Endgame. Real fucking original. <laughs> um, the friend of Vince, uh, Marty, who, he was a, a very, very active participant in framing Vince and convincing the public that he was chess and, you know, catalyzing this whole situation. News has gotten out that Peter Fleming's company, uh, ARC, is associated with organized crime. And Peter Fleming's like, don't worry, public, you can trust me. It was all this guy. And he points at Marty, I mean, figuratively points at Marty and, like, sets up Marty to take the fall for him. And, uh, Vince is like, I can't let this happen. And Dana is also like, I can't let this happen. And so Dana, uh, decides that she's gonna, like, take his case and defend him. So she's, like, with him and, like, he gets released on bail, but by a mysterious donor who's presumably an agent of Peter Fleming. And they're, like, I guess planning to assassinate him as he leaves the jailhouse or something, and Vince, as the cape, 
swoops in and he magics them away because apparently the the smoke trick is magic and it's not actually like a carnival trick yeah so yeah he he swoops in and does a smoke bomb and whoosh they're gone and um so dana and marty are with vince at crime carnival now but they somehow still do not know that it's vince Hmm. they're all ag they're agonizing over how like dana's like i couldn't uh, do anything to clear my husband's name so i have to save you from being wrongly convicted marty and then marty's like actually we should probably talk about this because i in fact set up your husband to take the fall for that whole thing sorry <laughs> and they're they're trying to get marty out of town because like he knows that Peter Fleming is chess and Vince thinks that this is the key to cracking this whole thing. If they can just keep Marty alive, he can testify that Peter Fleming was chess the whole time and that'll clear his name. And then like, he'll get to go back home. Uh, and so they're like arranging like a train to take him out of town because like all of the, uh, airports and roads and bus lines and everything are blocked, but not the trains, apparently. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and so they're, like, planning this, like, evacuation, and in the in the chaos of the evacuation, somebody shoots at Vince, who, as we know, is functionally bulletproof, and Marty jumps in the way and takes the bullet and dies, and, you know, he gets... This is his atonement. The for, cape is bulletproof! Yeah, this is his atonement for <laughs> the having... The cape stops bullets! Uh sold out Vince, I guess. Um, it was so dumb. Yeah. 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 That's what happens. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's, that's, that's everything that happens. That is what happens. Um, there, yeah, it's just, we, we watched two episodes of the we, Cape. We sure did. Of NBC's the Cape, the final two episodes, uh, it was supposed to be 13 episodes uh, <laughs> due to ratings, they said, nah, let's bring it back to 10. And uh, like all good ending pending shows, the final episode was exclusively shown online. Um, mm. We watched two episodes and, you know, I got to ask it. Uh, Andy. Yes, Ronnie. These two episodes of NBC's The Cape. Did they work for you? I'm finding this very difficult because I think the one was all right. The other one was so bad, though, that it, you know, when you only have two episodes, one's good, one's bad, did they work? I don't I don't think so, especially with the rest of the cape bearing down on them. I know we're supposed to take them as their own thing, but, like, oh, it's bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess no. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Uh, hey, Nate. Yeah. (laughs) Your solemnity speaks volumes. Um, These two episodes of NBC's The Cape, did they work for you? Uh, You know, there seemed to be a moment with episode nine where I thought maybe it it kind of would very early on. But uh, no, Uh, I think by the end of episode nine and then for all of episode 10, 
these might have been the worst two episodes of the show, in my opinion. <laughs> so, no, uh, aggressively, no. Evan. Yes, Ronnie. These two episodes of NBC's uh, superhero drama without a superhero and without much drama, The Cape. Um, did they work for you? There was, uh, there was a little bright spot in episode nine that I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, but besides that, it is a resounding no. Mm. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, yeah. These, uh, these last two episodes that ever were or ever will, will be of NBC's The Cape, did they work for you? Go. So nervous. I'm so worried. They didn't. No, they didn't. Okay. Um, yeah, I just like. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I think I'm probably way closer to saying they did work than y'all. But no, they they didn't work. It was it was a disjointed mess. I would say it was like them trying to like tie up all the loose ends as the season ended. But they didn't even do that. So I don't they have no which like is not a bad thing, but just like that would be, have been an excuse and it was disjointed in a mess and they have no excuses. So it's a no. It's a no for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we will get into what did work because I do have quite a few things. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, we will get into that right after these messages from Lunar Light Studio. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm just reading Philosophical Trends in the Feminist Movement by Anuradha Gandhi. Why don't you have a seat and we'll discuss the shortcomings of Western feminism and how we can address these issues. Johnny! Johnny, what what are you doing in my house? I'm I'm sorry, I I don't have a fireplace. I don't live in like a petite bourgeois like mansion with a fireplace. I have a mouth to lung setup. I was gonna look all cool. I have a smoking jacket. Listen, we, we, we have to... This is an audio medium. They can't see all of this. We, if you if you want to do a promo, why don't we just do a promo? Fine. Because, you know, it's sexist for me to be doing it alone anyways. Hi. Welcome to Comradical. I'm Haley Rose, and this is my co-host... Johnny Samuvati. This is an educational podcast about socialism and you. We take high-concept ideas and bring them down into more easily digestible humorous bits so that you can maybe get a handle on some of these theories. We go over how having a materialist understanding of the world around you can help make the world a little bit brighter for you and a little bit better for everyone else. We air every other Thursday only on Lunar Light Studio. So tune in. Seize the means. Stay calm, radical. We watched these two episodes, and there were ostensibly some good things. Uh, what worked for us about these two episodes of The Cape? I have a thing, and I I would like to start because I I never have anything good to say, and this is I, listen very I'm out of character. Bated breath over here, Evan. Please tell me some positivity. <laughs> okay, this is such a meaningless thing. This is this is such this is such a nothing. Uh, like piece of input, but I absolutely love the th- the trope, the thing where they have an actor do their actual real accent briefly as part of a disguise <laughs> in, in the show. 
<laughs> this I've seen this happen a couple of other times. David Tennant got to do it during Doctor Who because, of course, he's Scottish. For, like, two episodes, they were in Scotland as part of, like, the plot. And he just got to do his real ordinary accent and pretend that he was faking that accent. And uh, in episode nine, uh, as we know, the actor who plays Vince Faraday is in fact Australian. And the uh, bum makey guy he was impersonating was Australian. So he just got to like do his accent for like most of the episode. Very good. Liked it very much. Good, yeah. good shit. Yeah. Was, was so good. into it. Yeah. Also, he was kind of cute in that episode, you know, had his hair like slicked back. He's wearing a little yeah. leather. Co- there was no reason for him to be wearing like a leather coat and being such like a sassy bitch to everybody. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Like, it was like they hired you. Like, why would you assume that they want you to come in and like call them all pieces of shit and try to pick mm-hmm. fights with everybody? That's not necessarily what like professionals do but he had his little matrix outfit on and his slicked back hair and his little scar and he was like clearly having a lot of fun being Mm -hmm. more comfortable as an actor i was i i I was on board with that the scene where they're like i we can talk about whether or not this was a good scene or a bad scene later but where it's the you know prolonged scene of of trying to out vince that he oh. already knows Vince is the bad guy. Oh my god, the cake scene. <laughs> the cake scene. Oh my let me go around and compliment all of my very right. straight platonic henchmen <laughs> with like oh. weird specific compliments to things I value in them. <laughs> I love Angelo's shoes. <laughs> he, he, he does say one of them's a sharp dresser. Yeah. No, which is, which is what I was talking about when he, he like kind of like passes past Vince when he says that and he gives the the piece of it might have been ironic because the, the guy who was dressed was like in a flannel and a bu- bucket cap. Um, But I feel like for a moment Vince Faraday was like Oh, I'm getting a cake because I'm a sharp. Tra- oh, it's not me. Oh, I thought I was. I thought I was pretty sure I got a leather jacket thought, on, bud. I thought I was the good cake. Boy. My hair is slicked back. I wanted each of them to say thank you, daddy. When he gave them cake. Uh, you you guys are absolutely right. That scene was such a such a gem. And I uh, I didn't think to mention it because I was just so jazzed about the Australian accent. But yeah, that was a decidedly bizarre bizarre delightful scene what a it's <laughs> so i have i have a trope i want to i want to mention that i enjoyed in episode nine and this sure. is like the saving grace of episode nine for me besides the the accent bit which evan pointed out and i was also while we were watching immediately enraptured with everything vince was saying it's with just his delightful accent. yeah it's so it's, it's like a little treat you get to hear yeah. what they really sound like when they're but it's a it's a, it's a fakey fake accent but it's not <laughs> Uh, I like when the mentor figure has to come out of retirement and kick some ass. Uh, we've been binging gargoyles on Disney plus, and there was an episode where Hudson has to like fight Demona while Goliath is hurt. Oh and yeah. So great. Such a good episode. And any, you know, I mentioned uncle Iroh earlier. Anytime he gets to kick some ass in avatar, the last airbender, like, you know, it's a big deal. And having Max wear the cape to rescue Vince, while uh, not a whole lot 
necessarily came from it. Having Max like talk about like, oh, I still got it. And I hope you're paying attention because that's how you do it and shit. Like that was just fun. That was really great acting. And yeah. we finally got to see. Uh, I just want to keep calling him Goliath. That's not his name. What is Max. his name? Max is the name of the character. Well, the Max actor is the name is of the Keith, co- David. Keith David. Just just Keith David chewed into it. And it was just a reminder that he should have been the protagonist this entire time because he is way more compelling and interesting than anything fucking Faraday is doing. Yeah. I uh I like that we're that we're getting enough scenes with um they're mostly seem to be voiced by Ruby, the mentalist, but I like that this that the the circus is kind of the carnival is kind of like, you know, why are we doing all this for Vince? Because he's a cop and we're criminals and we're not really like invested in like cleaning up the city of crime or helping, you know, this guy wage his war on like a criminal syndicate. And then finally, like they give us a moment where Max is like, I mean, nothing came of it. Obviously I like to think something would have, but he's like, I've actually got a secret plan and I'm manipulating Vince to like do some sort of job for us. Uh, and I like that at least they acknowledge like, yeah, like clearly Max has some kind of other secret angle going on that we don't know about. And the carnival's kind of like still wary about helping Vince out all this time. The the guy playing the mentalist also was fantastic in those scenes. Yeah. Um, and Neil Kumar is 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 very good in, in, in the brief scenes, the all too brief scenes that he gets. I feel like we need to point out good acting on the show when it happens because <laughs> it's so true. rare. Yes. And and he he was absolutely great every time he was on screen. Yeah. Speaking of good acting, Elliot Gould uh, plays uh, um, Peter Fleming's therapist, um, Samuel. Uh, and we get some weird lore that he's like known him since he was a small child, um, which is strange since I didn't think he was from Palm City, but I guess he's got to practice there now. And I kind of I mean, I kind of liked that they were maybe like explaining like, OK, like the reason why Peter Fleming can't like keeps being chess or having like chess pop up is because he actually doesn't want to but can't help it because chess is a separate identity and I feel like they were building up some kind of secret going on with chess or some sort of arrangement that had been made between chess and the therapist that just never got to see fruition but I like that they at least kind of tried to play with that a little bit kind of give me some Hannibal shit it felt very like inside the actor's studio where it's like oh is chess here can, can I speak with chess? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little James Lipton of like, oh, let me get into character. Like, I did not love that whole bit. I felt like that was, the, I mean, the you know, the therapist did a fine job, but capped oh, off yeah. by just the fact that the therapist leaves. And then uh, Peter Fleming is like, OK, he wants to speak to chess. Got to get out my contacts. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is that. That's that, how you summon him? That that bit did, in fact, circle back around into being so bad it was good. Yes. Like, yes. that was so stupid that it, I genuinely laughed out loud when I saw him pull out his silver <laughs> engraved case with a chessboard on the lid and flick it open and inside was a contact case from CBS, but it had, it, with a little bottle of 
contact solution and it had his um $39.99 Halloween SFX chess contacts in it. <laughs> It was but, very good. But, like, if that's how you summon chess, then, like, don't carry that shit around. Right. Yeah. If he only comes out when you're when you're wearing your, like, Spencer's Gifts chess contacts, then just keep those things as far away as possible. But, yeah, I, I mean, I thought I just thought it was cool that they were at least kind of trying to, like, make be like, OK, because I always thought it was very stupid up until now in the show that he's, like, dressing up as chess and doing chess stuff when, like, chess, if people are to believe that Vince Faraday really was chess, there would be absolutely no reason to risk chess popping up again. So at least they're like, you know what? Here's the reason because he's not always in control of when chess shows up. I at least liked that they were kind of trying to uh, acknowledge that and address it. Yeah. Yeah. But they did not do good. But now his daughter is also secretly pawn. Queen. Yeah. I- it seemed to be, I guess the reason why she was painting things white was because of that white door that she didn't go into, but she kept seeing in like the lich induced fever dream from uh, the previous episode. I, I, I assume that's the reason why she's, pa- but I think also like later on in the show, she kind of makes some hints about there being like maybe a history of mental illness or she's like aware that it's only a matter of time before she becomes uh, like before she starts dealing with some of the same mental problems that uh, Peter Fleming is dealing with. I, at least I thought that's what she was implying, like at the end of episode 10. I thought for sure when this was all happening in episode nine, that in episode 10, she was going to kill chess and then like claim the title of main villain. Become like the white queen or something. Yeah. And that sh- moving forward when the show got renewed for season two, it was going to be Peter, or not Peter Fleming, Peter Fleming's dead. Uh, it was going to be Vince versus Orwell. You yeah. Know, the Cape versus uh, the White Queen or whatever. And yeah. I was like, that's that's really compelling. That's that's going to be like a cool finale. Yeah. And that's that's not what the fuck we got. No. So clearly, <laughs> I'm an even, idiot. Even if but... it did, though, I felt very reminiscent of our conversations about uh, Wolverine and the X-Men and Jean Grey, where no... X-Men property has ever like paid enough attention to Jean Grey so that when she does eventually go Phoenix that anyone really like cares or is invested well, like she's having like not, these not no X-Men property because the first time it happened it was fucking awesome sure sure yeah but no no X-Men property since the original Dark Phoenix saga Yes. Yeah, well, what what it was was when we got, like, Orwell's boring, Orwell's boring, Orwell's boring. Oh, Orwell's kind of in love with Vince. Orwell's been traumatized. Orwell's starting to, like, like crack, you know, get frayed around the edges. And so if they had done that, because I kind of thought when, like, he charged her with taking his wife and son to, like, a safe house or wherever the fuck, I thought that she was going to, like, kill Dana or at least try to kill Dana and kidnap Trip or something. And that was going to be how, like, the the episode ended with her finally, like, snapping because I thought, like, okay, well, they wouldn't be foreshadowing all of this, like, like coldness towards Dana and affection towards Vince if they weren't going to like try to trade off of it in some way. And that maybe wouldn't have been like a good idea to have like, you know, there'd be a love triangle where clearly like the guy's married and still in love with his wife, you know? So why are we doing that? It's a little sexist, but at least I was like, maybe they're kind of trying to foreshadow it, but we didn't get that either. I kind of liked in, uh, in episode 10, if we're just talking about what worked, I like Travis Dana's boss. I think he's kind of cool. 
Yeah, he's not bad. He's an all right he's, character. He's yeah. real. He's I, lived his in. Thing, his thing about the stapler was funny. Yeah. Yeah. He's he, kind he of funny. Out, the Dana was going to her car and was like accosted by a baddie trying to like, I guess, kidnap her. That was like a very easy to defeat baddie. Yeah, they um, were. I guess they were just trying to intimidate her into dropping the like uh, Marty's case so that he would take the the deal that Chess was offering him to take the fall. Um, yeah. And then the, you know, Vince as the cape uh, hurries to her rescue and then her boss runs out of the building carrying like a stapler, like a large furniture stapler. And uh, Vince like admonishes him for letting her leave. Vince is a real dick to him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he, 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 like, runs out and he's holding the stapler and they, like, kind of, like, they both kind of look at the stapler and he's like, sorry, it's just the first thing I grabbed. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's relatable, man. Yeah. Well, then I also like how he's like, you should have, you should have known better. You should have taken better care of my, I mean, this good <laughs> woman that I don't know. And he's like, well, why do I have to answer to you about anything in life? I kind of thought that was a... A good moment. That, it, um, yeah, I like Travis. The the scene leading up to that of just like Vince kind of coming out of nowhere and taking out the guys, which he always does and he always will do. And, and like right. it's, it, it makes it almost a little bit boring. I felt like it was a good like action sequence. And then having Travis run out was like a good like uh, foil to that. Like it was like, oh, this is a little bit different than usual. But then we just had like a 20 minute meet and greet of like the cape a public defender and her boss just sitting in a parking lot kind of hashing stuff out. And I was like, mm, no, this, well, is no sure. this is not good anymore. We, we, well, sure, sure. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. After reading through my notes, I realized that I actually only have one good thing written the entire time. Uh, and it's the interrogation room scene with Dana and Marty um, when she kind of comes in and tries to help him out. Hmm. Okay. Did you disagree? I mean, I just I guess I just don't have any sympathy for Marty at this point. Like they're no, trying to make no, us definitely not. But I, th- I think that the 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 dramatic irony that they played with of just like her being so like it, it it felt like he was kind of in his own world. And this snapped him back to being like, oh, right. My my actions have consequences. Um. Yeah, I just I guess I just had a hard time having any sympathy for him at this point, because, you know, I I did kind of think there was a brief moment where he talks about how he was just sort of like a coward and he was like getting ready to like defy chess and help Vince out right up until like the very last moment when it was impossible. But I just felt like too little too late because we hadn't seen Marty doing anything but being an asshole up until like that very moment, like. I don't know. I feel like they shouldn't have had a scene where he unnecessarily comes over and tells Dana, like, just to confirm, we found a bunch of evidence. Your husband was yeah. definitely incredibly right. guilty. Right. I'm like, yeah, that that kind of just is hard for me to be on your side, even at this point. And they clearly didn't think they could actually fully redeem him. So they just killed him off anyways. Um, I was so distracted from any of the scenes with uh, Marty and Dana because I... I was just consumed with the thought of how can you not tell it's him? He's right there. I know. He's standing I know. right there. Guys, I know. Come, like 
most of his face is not covered. You've got your wife who you've had a child with and your <laughs> best your best friend standing in the room with you. They never saw your body. They buried an empty <laughs> coffin and you now you're standing in the same height. Your face, you didn't fuck up your face or anything. He's not talking any differently. No, his voice is the same. <laughs> like, you're weirdly, like, Dana even asks, like, why are you so, like, involved with our lives? Like, yeah. who, who, who are, who are we to you? Who do you fucking think, Dana? Like, sorry. <laughs> like, I, I had a hard time taking any of that seriously, like any of their character development seriously, uh, like vis-a-vis. Vince is dead and it's your fault. Uh, like, what have you done? Any of that stuff. Because it was so transparently obvious that Vince was literally in the room with them while they were yeah. having this conversation. True, 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 true. Uh, well, the only other good things I'll say about episode 10 is um, neither of them involve the cape. So I guess that's telling because Evan is right. Um I like, I kind of like, I was so fucking done with scales by the time episode 10 was over that I kind of like how he like very easily got like punked and and thrown in jail (laughs) by the end of it all. Um, And I like that moment where um, they're hanging out uh, at like Chess's tailor's shop, like a bunch of different times, like Chess and scales planning how they're going to get Marty and get the cape and all that. Uh, And there's just a scene where, he's like really he's playing chess with his tailor and then his tailor beats him at chess. And I just love the idea that like, <laughs> he's not actually even <laughs> that good, good at chess. <laughs> I did like, like all of the Taylor stuff. Yeah. I was like, that's fun. That's fun. Uh, but yeah, that's it for, for good on my end. Fuck yeah. this show. <laughs> the negatives. That's my first negative is fuck this show. There's a lot. Um, um you talked about last episode, Nate, about how it was cool to see to like see chess across the desk from Peter Fleming, like to see his like split personality. It doesn't work at all. Just hearing it like it, it is just like to like just hear the v, the voiceover of chess, like in the back of Peter Fleming's like it's just it's so weak. It falls so flat. Can I ask a favor? Yeah, I feel like I do like the majority of cussing. Can like Evan and Ronnie? Can you guys just drop some cuss words? I just said fuck. Oh fuck yeah, I can. I need more. I just, I, I, like, I just, the show is so bad. I just need you guys. Yeah, this. Yeah, show. thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'm fuck gonna, this I'm, show. I'm gonna bleep everything I just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only your, only your swears. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm all the rest of only our the Ronnie, optimistic Ronnie, Ronnie mustn't swear. Ronnie is pure. That's, that's not oh. Ronnie's brand. There was so much clumsy info dumping oh. for being oh, the boy. ninth yeah. episode in this season. Like we, we were, we were, we had like a with great power comes great responsibility conversation. In the penultimate episode of the series, <laughs> like we're we're past that, brah. We're gone. I'm not the real cape. What the fuck are you talking about? What What do you think you are? Uh, uh, yeah. Also, the whole all of their plans don't make sense. What was the and point I, of any of what they were doing? Why did he have to disguise himself? Because he didn't know that 
that that Peter Fleming and and Scales had struck an agreement. He filmed that exchange seemingly by accident. The main thing that he was doing was to stop Razor from blowing up Max, and he already stopped Razor from blowing up Max before he fucking disguised himself as him. <laughs> Why was any of that necessary except so that he could do an Australian accent? He just wanted to be a bomb man and make bombs and do his Australian accent oh. for a lark. For a lark, Nate. Oh and my he's god. He's not wearing his cape underneath his outfit <laughs> this one time. <laughs> all of these all of these plans are really, really bizarre Ugh. and they don't make sense. And I'm very okay with like going with a story and like, alright, well, they don't do option B, and you just have to have to accept that like the characters are smart and they're not doing option B, which you as a fan thought of because they like it wouldn't have worked, and they know that. Like people after the Last Jedi came out were like, "Well, why didn't the Rebels use the hold and maneuver all the time?" And it's like, "Well, it wouldn't have worked," and you just have to accept that. Yeah, it's like the Eagles shit with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like anyone who wants to bring that up, it's like, "Oh, shut the hell up!" Yeah, like shut up. You're like that's not how you read stories. That's not how storytelling works. The author doesn't have to sit there and explain why every other idea doesn't work. You just have to accept that they wouldn't have. All of this shit, like that being said, all of this shit <laughs> is so bizarre and meaningless and out there. And like Max goes and meets with Scales and like does some like badass teleporting and shit and like sassily leaves. Like if the whole plan was to get a fucking camera in Scales' hideout. You have a master ninja magician man who can't, who was just invo- do a poof in and then poof back out. He was invited in. He walked in the front yeah. door. He wore a very sexy top hat. <laughs> like, like that was the start of the episode. If the whole plan was to get video with skills talking about Peter Fleming, it wasn't. There. He didn't know about that. It wasn't. That wasn't the point. He didn't know any of that was going on. But what was the he plan didn't know. then? There was no plan. There was no plan. The point. He and heard a rumor that someone was going to blow up Max because Max is the mayor of Trolley Park, which is prime <laughs> real estate for some reason. No, it's not. It's a fucking circus. There's nothing and there. It's a sh- it's a shipyard. It's and like then, a like, gross pl- gravel pit. It's nothing. The it's plan. Nothing. The, the plan with the families of like we're going to get the families out. And, like, they do this whole bit about how, like, the cape breaks his wife's phone, which was clearly set up that, like, well, someone else is going to have a phone. Yes. Because as we know, um, what you have to do to stop a a phone from being GPS tracked is just smash the screen. Just lightly punch the screen. Yeah. (laughs) So then, like, why did no one... Go in the kids' goddamn suitcases. No one swept anybody. We didn't see any of that. And then he's like, where the hell did that come from? And then it's like, well, if you didn't tell your daughter that she didn't need her cell phone. And I knew at the beginning of the fucking episode when she's on her cell phone, I was like, oh, there we go. Check our cell phone. That's going to be a thing later. And then when they're like, when and then when the guy's like looking at this mini like arm, this pink, tiny armoire with a little cradle in it that could get a cell phone he's like there's another cell phone in the wind get going triangulate it's just like just dumb decision after dumb decision and Marcus throwing himself in front of bulletproof cape Marty 
Marty? I don't fucking care about his name, Marty. (laughs) Marty's a a bad name. Marcus would have been a better name. Yes. But, like, Jesus. It's so bad. It's... I yes. felt nothing. I it felt was very nothing. Con- it was very contrived. Because, like, of course, we, the audience, know that the cape is bulletproof. So, like, that... If he had jumped in front of Trip, and, like, I hate Trip, and, like, would have preferred Trip to die, but if he had dove in front of Trip or the wife, mm-hmm. like, that would have at least, like, narratively made... It would have come together a little better. It was, also yeah. they could have, it was also they could have a shitty moment where he goes... Hey, it's me, Vince. Look, let me take off my hood and not even the mask I'm wearing because, of course, you can tell it's me if I just don't have this hood on and it's like a normally lit day. And let me tell you, hey, you didn't kill me. You saved me. I mean, not really because I'm bulletproof and you know that because you saw me get shot earlier, but it's not a big deal. You, and you, also you're a good this, guy. You're good. Also, also, this is still all your fault. Like, literally, right. we would yeah. not have been in this situation yeah. where you jumped in front of a bullet to save me had you not done all of that other shit. So, yes. anyway, bye, I and, guess. And, and yeah, I want to say, Evan, you were so right. At this point, it is honestly cruel of Vince not to reveal himself as the cape at this point. I mean, it's unnecessary because they should all know by now. But mm-hmm. it's like... Like Dana is being hunted now by Peter Fleming and Scales men for agreeing to represent Marty in court. So her and Tripp's lives are already in danger. And like Max and Orwell, like everyone keeps being like, no, their lives are forfeit if you if you but utter even one whisper of your true identity to them. And it's like, but their lives are already they're already people are already trying to get them now. Who cares? Here's the thing. Um. Remember in, like, episode one or two when he was like, I can't just take my family and skip town. I can't just run. What What would that yeah. teach them? And now here we are at the end of the show, and he's shoving his family into a train car so they can skip town. Yeah. And it, we've well, come it full circle. But, but I'm not clear. They didn't. Like somebody else, Dana, because Orwell took Dana and Trip, who wasn't in the episode at all, thank Christ. But like <laughs> they, they show up in like her Dana's parents house or some other house that she like sweeps for listening to for Wi-Fi just to make sure there's no Wi-Fi in there. And then <laughs> like so she's not she didn't get on the train. She's somewhere else. It was just Marty's family that needed to get on that train. I and Dana's she's still did, there. I don't. They like split up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't fucking Fuck know. Fuck this show. <laughs> and I will say, you already mentioned it earlier, Evan, but when the cape shows up in broad daylight and smoke bombs, I was like, you know what? I, <laughs> you have gotten so irresponsible with depicting these smoke bombs. You well, can't they, just, just they're, throw they're smoke magic. bombs and everyone's gone. You can't went, do that. They went to the trouble of having him train to make the smoke bomb trick work. And they are like, oh, you know, it's a... Uh, thing and you it's a sleight of hand thing and it's a circus trick where you throw the smoke well clearly it's not because it's just teleporting smoke yes clearly it's a teleporting smoke bomb because uh uh unless he he had time to secretly train his uh wife and this man in the whatever circus flippy trick uh like distraction tactic he's just bamfing yeah no he's just teleporting is what he's doing he's literally teleporting can I just say, like, one, the introduction of the mob boss with the eye condition. Oh, poker face. <laughs> is, is, is terrible and dumb and awful. <laughs> but Vince, like, poisoning this guy's eye drops that he meets. Makes he never Vince, even met this guy before. Why? Make, make Vince, makes Vince 
a fucking bully. Like, like Vince, you're yeah. just a dick. I know he's a mobster, but he, he, he clearly has this debilitating eye condition and like, go beat him up. Like, go arrest him. Sure. But to like poison his fucking eye medicine is just like senselessly cruel. I would like to reveal that the episode Razor of the, the Cape, this show that we watched that had the makeup that we saw yes, for both yes, scales. Nate, do this, do this, and, do this. <laughs> and for Poker Face, that episode was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Prosthetic Makeup. Oh, Was wow. it really? Yes, it was. By who? Oh, wow. So officially, we can say that this show is an Emmy Award nominated show. That's really okay. upsetting. Okay. Well, I, I mean, don't I need guess to know this the dark scales truth. Are better. <laughs> the scales are better than they were in the first two episodes. I could that say is with true. Confidence. Yeah, um, that is they certainly did, true. They did fire whoever was doing them first and got a different prosthetic slash makeup artist to do them thereafter. And they did at least resemble scales passingly after yeah, that. They didn't look like um, he had just been <laughs> like uh, like pressed onto a waffle iron that was co- coated <laughs> in some kind of like yellow uh, paint. They looked like a film before. Yeah. They looked like a, a sort of a, a slimy film. Not a textured, yeah. not textured in any way, just slimy and sort of discolored. Yeah, and to your point about Poker Face, the the whole deal with this guy, which is nothing. Like, why are we introducing a new, like, rogue from the rogues gallery in this episode? Like, it makes no sense. There's already too much going on. He, he's, he got shot in, like, the optic nerve or something in his brain, so he Mm -hmm. can't close his eyes, and then one of his eyes is, like, a piece of silly putty over his eye socket, so it's, like, bulging out or whatever. And so his thing is that he can't blink, and that's why he's called Poker Face. He's not called, like, Nightmare Face or something, which is way more (laughs) accurate, because it's not just like, oh, he can't blink his eyes. It's like, no, his eyes are, like, fucked up, and he's got, like, scars and stuff all over. But sure, the fact that he doesn't blink is, like, the the main takeaway. And he he can't blink, so he's got, like, a little assistant behind me. He just shouts, eyes, every, like, 30 seconds. (laughs) And his little assistant comes and puts, like, eye drops in his eyes, and it's like... Moisturize me. Moisturize me. It's so dumb. And then, then, again, we, we never see... Uh, Vince like in disguise as Razor or as the cape in the same scene as Poker Face so like the very next time that we see him his eyes drop his eye drops burn him and then we cut to Vince looking very self-satisfied watching holding turpentine it was so it's it's like every moment of this episode and the next episode as well is played like we should have like a real like moment with with what's going yeah. on like we should really like connect either really be cheering for have like a real heartfelt moment and it's just like none of this is landing absolutely zero of what you're doing is landing yeah. just get to the Vin- end stop Vince taking really these zagged on him right yeah like, yeah really got him yeah i'm i'm real tired of scales by the end of the show too like i said i like he really wore out his welcome like I think the fact that he popped up on episodes that weren't like scale centric just to kind of be like, and don't forget, I'm still a presence on this show, you know, and it was like, yeah, like he, I, he has no business being here constantly, but yeah. 
that actor I've seen him in shit. So oh, I guess Jones, yeah, yeah. So like he's a good actor. So I guess they were like, oh, we got like we got him on payroll. We got to fucking use him. Oh yeah, that must be what it was. Vinnie Jones fans are gonna be all over the cape. Well, I'm sure he was like, how much time in the makeup chair? Okay, well, then I'm in like every one of these episodes for at least like 45 (laughs) seconds. We're going to shoot like we're going to do like two weeks of shooting after I'm in the makeup and then I'm gone. So like you use me as much as possible because you're not getting me back in the chair a second time. I want to bet real American dollars that they were writing episode nine like as it was happening. And they're like, we really need some way to reveal that Vince is not actually Razor. And the writers looked around and they looked around and they saw a half-eaten birthday cake in the break room. And they said, oh, yeah. aha, I've got it. It's the most convoluted. Like, cake the whole thing death. Is, the whole thing is, it's like, it's missing a slice. That's because somebody here is not loyal. It's like. I mean, you could have just cut the cake to have enough slices for the people who are loyal. Like, what is yeah. what is the missing slice have to do with that evening? Those slices were big ass slices were too. I just want to say he is those very were, generous. Those were Evan sized slices of cake. Evan really likes cake. Well, red velvet cake's amazing. He hired <laughs> Razor, so he's like, who's loyal to me? Like back, back, like who would who would die for me? And it's like, well, not the guy that you like hired who you've never met you, you before, fucking brought out of you don't town. recognize yeah and also the guy the real razor like there's a whole thing where they keep cutting to him plotting this crafty escape from with the fucking bubblegum yeah and and he escapes and then shows up at the end to be like aha and that's how i know you're not the real razor and then that's it like presumably razor never like faces justice or he's just gone you know because max shows up saves vince and beats the shit out of like all of the associates but then that's it like the threat of scales still remains and presumably he might just be like well i don't know why i was wanting to bomb max maybe i'll just like go to his trolley park with guns and like kill everybody there like also do you really need to hire like an out of town bombs expert terrorist man like you're you are a mobster. You can just yeah, you can just buy a bomb. Yeah. And, and like Peter go Fleming, there. Fleming there. already said, I don't care what you do outside of the business district because I only care about like the rich, like one percent types not like being exposed to crime. So it's like blowing up Trolley Park with like he didn't need like a bomb that was like undetectable or like made from twine and like duct tape and chewing gum if, or, or whatever because fu- it didn't matter if fucking Jimmy Donnelly and Joey Ice Cream from the Black Donnelly's oh, can get a crate geez. full of hand grenades <laughs> to throw at Doki fucking scales can manage to get a, a bomb and throw it at the fucking carnies I think I would have gone my entire life without thinking of Doki <laughs> From Black Donnelly's. But you've ruined it. You've sat there and ruined it. And now I'm thinking about Doki. Don't you miss the Black Donnelly's after watching this shit? (laughs) By the way, why are we seeing so much of that one, like, Sopranos dude henchman of scales who gets all these lines of dialogue and has all these, like... In his stupid shirt? Yeah. He's like... 
He's like, you said it was the left side of your face on a phone. For your sake, I better miss her. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to see this random Sopranos dumbass here. I don't give a shit about Bring back the guy that's shit. like a reptile, man. I don't care about this <laughs> moron. We don't need young big pussy on yes. fucking the cape. And then, of course. And, and like, yes, that is the name of a character from season one of Sopranos. You're welcome. That's true. But I like and and by the by the end of the episode, like Vince has I, I honestly thought he was planning some kind of cool thing when like at least I thought he would go down swinging when he got like the shit beat out of him and, and like tied to a chair before all of that happened. But he literally thought that everything was going fine, even though clearly yeah. like Scales basically walks up and says, I am now suspicious of you because of something you've said, you know, and it's like and he's like, well, I get well, he would have been like, well, I guess you're right to be suspicious because fuck you because I'm Razor. And it's like, <laughs> why, why are you, why is any of this happening? Everyone has a plan until there's red velvet cake. The allure well, of the cake, it just threw him off. He well, was like, I'm going to get a big slice. You see these slices of cake? They're so big. I'm going to be enjoying some big, big cake soon. Even then also, the guy he does comes go out like him. a punk. Yes, he does. And he doesn't even like the, the guy comes over. He's like, hey, Scales wants everybody out front. He's like, just a minute. And the guy pulls out a gun and is like, I didn't think you heard me. He wants everyone out front. I'd be like, you know what? Let me actually just go ahead and incapacitate that guy and leave because like clearly my cover's blown and I already have the video evidence that I didn't know that I needed. And Razor's already been, as far as I know, incapacitated because I didn't know that they just put him in like a cage right in the middle of the carnival of crime where he could like talk to people and just be given stuff by a, a woman, you know, like, there's no, there's no, yeah! Ah! <laughs> that, that is very, very apt. That's a great description of this show, Nate. Uh, this show is really bad. I don't know if you can tell listeners by our descent into madness. <laughs> Let's, uh, I deserve let's, this. I suggested this show. I deserve to <laughs> suffer. You do deserve nobody, this. Nobody deserves this, Nate. Do not put that on yourself. Let's let's talk about that. Let's get into it. Uh, this show, we watched 10 whole episodes of The Cape. Uh, Nate, do you want to weigh in again real quick on uh, d- d- did it work? I can't even say that a full one-tenth of the show worked. If you add all the stuff that worked together, it would not even make one complete episode. So, no. Hey, Evan. Yeah. These these ten episodes, all the whole kit and caboodle uh, of the cape. Did it? Uh, did it work for you? You know, I gotta say, I appreciate that uh, it did. It did cycle all the way back around into so bad that it's good. But yeah, still, no, no, it's uh, it's not worth the slog to get to the entertaining bits, even. So, no. Mm. Andy. Yes, Ronnie. Ten episodes. Count them up. They were all there. Uh, and they were all the cape. Did it work for you? You know, the the ancient Hawaiians once had a king. Oh, okay. And so we will fight for your king. No, this show is the fucking. Hawaiians had a king like <laughs> this is a fucking terrible. This is ago. so bad. 
This, this, this show, I don't know anything about U.S. <laughs> history outside of Philadelphia, so got me there. Speaking, this, speaking well, of Philadelphia. This isn't the U.S. until very recently. This, this show is as bad as in humans, is my point. Sure. This show is as incomprehensible as Inhumans was. I would put this up there as uh, very possibly the worst show we've ever covered on Ending Pending. Ooh. Uh, Nate, that's what you're bringing I, to the table, Nate. I I, I would I would Yay. disagree with that assessment. Oh, Clone High, because Clone High also fucking sucks. No, we can't go there. We can't. Well, we can. I mean, <laughs> we're gonna offend. What were you gonna say though, babe? Uh, I'm just saying I don't know that it's the worst. I, I said up there with the worst. It might be the worst. I don't think it's the worst. Oh, so you're a big The Cape fan, then. No, I'm just saying... Like, <laughs> I've been coming in on his white shows, steed to defend... I, there are shows I hated a lot more than... This, this. is virtue signaling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, Ronnie. The, 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 the... I realized in episode 10, and apparently it's been happening throughout, is that one of the establishing shots they use, that's like an evening shot, is a uh, shot from the Schuylkill River... Hey, over, I know that. Over the dockside condominiums that look like a big cruise ship out there off of 95, over the Philadelphia skyline, um, which is super weird because if you, like, pause the shot, there are clearly trees that are, like, you know, trees you'll find in the Northeast, and it's fall there. They're all, like, red and brown. Like, Palm City, like, this is supposed to be, like, LA or like a beach town or something, but wow. we have the like it is they're experiencing autumn just like the uh the, the the northeast and I don't know. I guess nobody needed to think about it that much, but just like why would you just choose one city to do your like cuz no one on this of? show gave a damn. I, this yeah. feels like a show that like that somebody made I feel like the 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 creator of this show maybe had kind of an interesting idea starting out and then I, this just has the feeling of like network executives ruining the the basic premise of a show with notes upon notes and then you know like just the show trying to do too much and just becoming this bland generic like every every episode seems like it was cobbled together from like multiple drafts uh the tones all over the place so i feel like they already expected this show to not last a full season when they started airing it it just had like the vibe of a pre-canceled show baked into it from the beginning. So it wouldn't surprise me if I learned that nobody at any level from the crew, from the location scouts, from the showrunner to the actors, if anybody at any level gave a shit about this show by the time it actually made it to TV, I would be very surprised. This show did not work for me. <laughs> this uh I, I mean clearly it, I, I liked it more than y'all over the course of it uh but it it the the it didn't work too well it always uh, breaks my heart to hear you say that Ryan. i know i, I, I mean i did give it good. i did give it a go i sat there you and did. said you did. show could be good what if you what if it, show good you uh, gave it the old ronnie try the show kind of like uh, Purple Rose of Cairo style stepped out of the screen and just shook its head. No, not not good. Not not good show. And I said, OK, fair enough. 
Is it even worth talking about season two for this show? No, fuck this show. It doesn't deserve a season two. Season two would just be like, like none of the plot lines got tied up. Like it would just be like <laughs> doing that, which like, I don't hate, like I don't hate leaving a little meat on the, no, you know what? I do hate it. You, <laughs> you just, just, just tie up what's going on. Tell the stories that are in front of you. Don't like save stuff. I mean, even if they got three more episodes, there's no way everything was going to get tied up in those three episodes. They were clearly like stashing some stuff for season two. And that's when shows are bad. When you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to keep this story close to me and I'm yeah. not going to tell like these days, tell the stories these days, unless you're like a show like on one of the premium subscription networks that's got like a guaranteed like season two renewal. I can't fathom the cockiness that you would have to have to try to hold out. Right. For like <laughs> for a season two. It's like, how dare you try to do that? This show is the equivalent of. Someone in your zombie survival group getting bit and trying to keep it a secret. Mm. I hate this show. Do you yeah. just also hate when the zombie survival group person like what would speak on that? Yeah, when you, a little bit. when you get when you get fucking bit by a zombie, you don't try and hide it. You tell your group like, hey, guys, I got fucking bit. Here's all my food and ammo. Give me like. A spare machete, I'll go out swinging. You guys run. You don't try and keep it a secret because then you're going to get slowly turned and you're going to bite one of your friends. Yeah, true. No, you're a more noble person than I am, Andy, because I would just be like, ah, go ahead and shoot me in the back of the head. I'm not well, going to. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> I'm not fine, too. And try to take zombies with me. I'd be like, I ah, give up. But I feel yeah, like, like, like you still say something. Ev yes. Evan, Evan, what do you do in that situation? You give me because, one last smooch. No, yeah, you're gonna I mean, get. He's he's gonna turn while he's making out with you. That's a classic. No, <laughs> oh man, that'd I, be horrific. Don't, don't ask for a smooch uh, from oh, someone. I'm gonna, just, have, yeah. I'm gonna have nightmares now. Jesus, because uh, I I don't think I would be so noble as to try to like take myself out in a dramatic self-sacrifice, but yeah, I'd be like, exactly. oh fuck, oh fuck, I got bit. Oh fuck, oh please don't kill me. Oh fuck. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably just ask them to, like, lock me in a room or something. I wouldn't want to kill them, but I definitely don't want to get shot in the head. I have no idea if turning into a zombie is painful, but at least I get to live in uncertainty for a little bit instead of being immediately dead. I don't know. I, I, I uh, think, The millennial experience. Yeah, no. I, I, <laughs> with, uh, speaking of which, I think that my entire bit is that I am the worst person because if I get bit and no one notices... I just try and find an opportunity to bring it up and it never really feels like the right time. I'm just like too, too awkward and anxious to be like, Hey guys, I, I've been meaning to say it like for the past, but, but now it feels like it's too long past when I should have said it. So I'll kind of keep my mouth shut and maybe just kind of blurt it out all of a sudden inorganically and feel awkward about like, so, so you would treat getting bitten by a zombie the same as you would like, not asking someone's name at a party yes, and then yes, like having yes. a conversation with them. And then it's like too far along to ask yes, now that's yes, the same philosophy. Absolutely. hundred percent. I can, <laughs> I can think of so many moments where it, this exact thing has happened to me and I have no reason to believe that getting bit by a zombie would be any different. For me. <laughs> I love, I love it. It's all, it's all different. It's all, we're, we're all on a spectrum here. I would just ask to get euthanized right away. 
uh, Evan would just be like, oh, let me just let me sort of worry about it on my own for a while in a corner somewhere. Andy's like, let me let me make out one last time. <laughs> and Ronnie's like, eh, I just I'll just I'll just, you know, get a I, I long would, sleeve shirt and hide those would, uh, those bitten up arms. It would eat me up, in, so to speak. It would eat <laughs> me up inside that I wasn't able to, like, share it. But, like, I just would need to find that, like, organic moment. So no one thought I was a weirdo, you know, just there's like, oh, how long have you been sitting on this fact? There's literally a character on The Walking Dead who gets bit and likewise feels too awkward to, uh, like, express it. Mm-hmm. And then he gets kidnapped by cannibals who eat part of him. They, like, cut off his leg and, like, cook it and eat it. And then that's when he reveals that he got bit. He's, like, laughing at them. And he's like, y'all, I got bit and was too, uh, like, scared and awkward to say anything about it. But now you've eaten my fucking leg and you're all zombies now, you yeah. dummies. Yeah. I feel so that in a very, I feel that in such a big way of just like, oh, thank goodness the cannibals took me. Oh, this is, I, it's a new group that I'm with. I can share it with them right off the bat. <laughs> this just, is the best just so you know. Yes. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> oh. Well, I actually do kind of have a a, a season two uh, pitch that I think might fix a lot of the problems with season one. Uh, what I would say is now it would require the, a little bit of suspension of disbelief. We would have like an awkward season two premiere, but I think everyone would just sort of be willing to look the other way so that we could get to good storytelling going forward. I say we just open on season two with Vince already having decided this sucks. I'm going to give the cape back to the circus and return to uh, uh, take my family out to like Alaska or somewhere where we'll be safe from Ark. And then the cape just stays with the circus. The cape doesn't have to be a guy. It can just be like this cape that the cir- the carnival is using to help themselves with stuff. They still got Gregor Molotov, the, the best like guest uh, actor f- from the show who's like wants to get that cape back and they're just doing they're just traveling the world doing crimes helping out you know maybe against their better judgment because max is a big old softy at heart uh and you know ruby's constantly being like hey we should just g- get the money you know we don't have to help these people all the time max is like no no where's your sense of showmanship or whatever and then rollo gets to kick all kinds of ass and maybe we get to give the woman a personality and it works for everybody Shocking. We don't have to worry about Palm City. We're done. That's pretty good. Maybe on the news we get to see a broadcast like Peter Fleming indicted on like a bunch of stuff as soon as somebody from out of town like comes to visit. Like the governor <laughs> just like drove through Palm City and was like, oh, there, there's some crazy <laughs> shit happening here. I'm going to go. I'm going to go call the feds on this guy. And then that's it. That, that, I mean, that there's works. no. There's crime, no other way to do circus, it. Crime, circus, crime, circus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Forget the cape. We don't need him. Crime circus. Yes. They were the only interesting part of the show. Mm-hmm. Word. The the theme music was pretty good. I don't know what instrument that. I don't know anything about music, but um, that that sort of sound they had that was pretty good. Oh yeah, was that like some kind of horn or something that was like? Uh, I like that part. Yeah. I like the part where it went. I'm doing no justice to, but it was good theme music. Yeah. All right, so that's the cape. What show are we doing next? Uh, next is a fan selection. So uh, wasn't that this? 
No, this was this was uh this was Ronnie really wanted to have Nate on the show, so he picked the show that Nate would uh would come on for. Um God. So so I mean, no, yeah, let's blame Nate. Let's totally blame Nate for us doing this show. I can take it. Love y'all. I love y'all. This is um, fine. It's been so good to have you, Nate. Um, uh, Nate, did you like that review I left for your podcast? I was very proud of it. Yeah, when we, uh, sometime that episode, the episode uh, where I read it uh, on air is uh, not going to come out until next year, but we dedicated some time to it. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I hope y'all broke it down. Andy recently we did our best. <laughs> Andy recently left a review on a, a shirt that said, this shirt has exactly the right number of holes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a bigger hole for your body to go into, and, and two then two smaller holes small. for your arms, and one like medium-sized hole for your head. It's perfect. <laughs> I, I've really been flexing my review muscles. I've been enjoying it. I, wor- I worry now that something <laughs> something has been unleashed. <laughs> Just number um, one Yelp star, Andy. <laughs> Nate, yes. it's your last opportunity to talk about your progressive music, pro, pro, progressive music, prog rock. Does that is that progressive rock? Is that yeah, what that's, that's okay. what it stands for? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Talk, talk about this. The Satan's and Rainbows show. Right. Well, uh, uh, my friend Jeff and I uh, do a music history podcast. We try to focus on um sort of niche uh, bands within the genres of uh, progressive rock and heavy metal, which have a reputation that we say is undeserved for being uh, too pretentious and too stupid, respectively. Uh, And uh, so like our intro says, progressive rock can be cool and heavy metal can be smart. Um, And then also I just have it in our intro every time that Timothy Dalton can still get it because I'm just real Mm. horny for that man, uh, like even now. So um that's just part of our intro all the time. And we sort of talked about, and then I tried to justify it on the episode where we debut that intro by saying that heavy metal and progressive rock are to popular music as Timothy Dalton is to the James Bond canon. And I think I made it work. Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, we're, so we just do like, we just pick a band that we think, um, doesn't get enough uh, credit within sort of the story of uh, heavy metal or progressive rock. And we just sort of do a deep dive on their discography, break it down, talk about the lyrics, talk about, we, we try to put it all in a historical context, try to talk about what was going on in, in music at the time. So yeah, so there's that. Uh, I'll also say just if I can briefly plug two things that I'm not affiliated with in any way, um, I've been enjoying uh, the life of the party, which is a uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, show uh, that uh, posts it's by Nick's Rising Industries, which is a cool uh, queer run um, YouTube channel that's all about like nerd nerddom and nerd culture. And um, for fans of Critical Role who maybe don't want to get into like the don't have time to dedicate like four, four and a half, five hour long uh, episodes, uh, Life of the Party is like an hour and a half to two hours long each episode, and they're just starting out, and it's uh, very fun, uh, really good uh, DM and very fun role players. Um, and then just during the holidays, if you're in the spirit of giving, I just thought I would shout out uh, an organization that I uh, donate uh, to uh, pretty frequently when I, I can uh, afford to, uh, the National Network of Abortion Funds. Um which is an organization that um, is dedicated to removing financial and logistical barriers to abortion access by centering people who have abortions and um, uh, trying to uh, sort of have reproductive justice that is also as intersectional as possible. Um, and they partner with um, 
uh, abortion funds and uh, advocacy groups uh, in 42 of the 50 states and then also in Mexico and a couple places in Europe, too. So they will kind of partner you up with a local organization that can help you if you uh, are, you know, need your reproductive uh, needs met. Uh, and they also uh, are lobbying to uh, help remove some of the uh, uh, limitations to insurance coverage for abortions and abortion providers as well. And they've got a, a great blog that kind of, um, you know, talks about everything from like sort of how to talk to people about abortion in a constructive way and um, just staying abreast of sort of threats to reproductive justice around the world and what you can do about it. Um, so that's just something that I would also recommend if you're looking for a worthy organization to donate to this time of year. And that's it for me. Let's just reiterate again, like, fuck this administration. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. It goes yeah, without saying. Like, like, like mm-hmm. just fuck every single member of the Republican Party. Yes. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Uh, thanks so much again, Nate. It was great having you on. Oh, a pleasure and an honor and a delight as always. Don't tell Pawn Shop Lou we got Nate. We got him. <laughs> We're not giving it, we're not giving him back to Satan and Rainbows. He's ours. Nope. It's just Jeff now. Just Satan and Rainbows and Jeff. Oh y'all, I, I don't know if Jeff's gonna be able to handle the podcast <laughs> on his own. I mean I love Jeff. Bless his heart, but I don't know. Ugh. Oh. We can we can we can spread it around. We can we can we can give some of this podcast love back. Wait, so we are or we're not telling Ponchop Lou. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.